0: Chapter 3 Self-Defeating Patterns There's No Right Way to Do a Wrong Thing Certain patterns of relating to children are almost always self-defeating. Not only do they fail to attain our long-term goals, but they often create havoc at home here and now. The self-defeating patterns include threats, bribes, promises, sarcasm, verbal overkill, sermons on lying and stealing, and rude teaching of politeness. THREATS INVITATIONS TO MISBEHAVIOR To children, threats are invitations to repeat a forbidden act. When a child is told, if you do it once more, he does not hear the words, if you. He hears only, do it once more. Sometimes he interprets it as, mom expects me to do it once more, or she'll be disappointed. Such warnings, fair as they may seem to adults, are worse than useless. They make sure that an obnoxious act will be repeated. A warning serves as a challenge to the child's autonomy. If he has any self-respect, he must transgress again to show to himself and to others that he is not afraid to respond to a dare. Oliver, age 5, kept on throwing a ball at the living room window in spite of many warnings. Finally, his father said, if the ball hits the window once more, I'll beat the living daylights out of you, I promise. A minute later, the crash of breaking glass told Oliver's father that his warning had an effect. The ball had hit the glass for the last time. The scene that followed this sequence of threats, promises and misbehavior can easily be imagined. In contrast, the following incident is an illustration of effective handling of misbehavior, Without resorting to threats. Seven year old Peter shot the pop gun at his baby brother. His mother said, Not at the baby, shoot at the target. Peter shot at the baby again. His mother took the gun away. To Peter, she said, People are not for shooting. Peter's mother did what she felt had to be done to protect the baby and at the same time uphold her standards of acceptable behavior. Her son learned the consequences of his actions without any damage to his ego. The implied alternatives were obvious, to shoot at the target or to lose the privilege of having the gun. In this incident, his mother avoided the usual pitfalls. She did not embark on the predictable trail to failure. Stop it, Peter! Don't you know better than to shoot at your brother? Don't you have a better target? If you do it once more, you hear, once more! You'll see, never see the gun again. Unless the child is very meek, his response to such an admonition will be a repetition of the forbidden. The scene that would then follow need not be described. It can easily be reconstructed by every parent. Bribes. Rethinking the if-then fallacy. Similarly, self-defeating is the approach that explicitly tells a child that if he will or will not do something, then he will get a reward if you're nice to your baby brother then i'll take you to the movies if you stop wetting your bed then i'll get you a bicycle for christmas if you learn the poem then i'll take you sailing this if then approach may occasionally spur the child towards an immediate goal but it seldom if ever inspires her toward continual efforts our very words convey to her that We doubt her ability to change for the better. If you learn the poem, means we are not sure you can. If you stop waiting, means we think you can control yourself but you won't. There are also some moral objections to rewards that are used to bribe. Some children purposely misbehave in order to get their parents to pay them to behave better. Such reasoning may soon lead to bargaining and blackmail and to ever-increasing demands for prizes. And fringe benefits in exchange for good behavior. Some parents have been so conditioned by their children that they do not dare come home from a shopping trip without a present. They are greeted by the children not with a hello, but with a what did you bring me? Rewards are most helpful and more enjoyable when they have or when they are unannounced in advance, when they come as a surprise, when they represent recognition and appreciation. Promises. Why unrealistic expectations cause grief for everyone? Promises should neither be made to nor demanded of children. Why such a taboo on promises? Relations with our children Children should be built on trust. When parents must make promises to emphasize that they mean what they say, then they are as much as admitting that their unpromised word is not trustworthy. Promises build up unrealistic expectations in children. When a child is promised a visit to the zoo, she considers it a commitment that the day will not be rainy, that the car will be in the garage, and that she will not be sick. Since life is not without mishaps, however, children come to feel betrayed and convinced that parents cannot be trusted. The relentless complaint, but you promised, is painfully familiar to parents who belatedly wish they had not. Promises about future good behaviour or the cessation of past misbehaviour should not be requested or extracted from children. When a child makes a promise that is not her own, she draws a cheque on a bank in which she has no account. We should not encourage such fraudulent practices. Sarcasm – A Sound Barrier to Learning A serious mental health hazard is a parent with a gift for sarcasm. A wizard with words, that parent erects a sound barrier to effective communication. How many times must I repeat the same thing? Are you deaf? Then why don't you listen? You're so rude. Were you brought up in a jungle? That's where you belong, you know. What's the matter with you anyhow? Are you crazy or just stupid? I know where you'll end up. Such a parent may not even be aware that the remarks are attacks that invite counterattacks; that such comments block communication by stirring children to preoccupation with revenge fantasies. Bitter sarcasm and cutting cliches have no place in child upbringing. It is best to avoid statements such as, What makes you think you know all the answers? You don't even have the brains you were born with. You think you're so smart? Wittingly or unwittingly, we should not deflate the child's status in his own eyes and in the eyes of his peers. Authority calls for brevity, when less is more. To be told, you talk like a parent is not a compliment because parents have a reputation for repeating themselves and overstating the obvious. When they do, children stop listening with a silent cry. Enough already. Every parent needs to learn economical methods of responding to children so that minor mishaps do not turn into major catastrophes. The following episode illustrates the triumph of a brief comment over a long explanation. As Al's mother was saying goodbye to visitors in the driveway, eight-year-old Al ran up with a long, tearful complaint against his older brother. Whenever I have a friend over, Ted finds an excuse to tease us. He never leaves us alone. You have to stop him. In the past, Al's mother would have yelled at Ted. How many times do I have to tell you to leave your brother alone? So help me if you don't. I'm going to ground you for a month. This time she looked at Ted and said, Ted, you choose. You can get the usual lecture or take care of the complaint yourself. Ted laughed and answered. Okay, mom, I'll bug off. The following dialogue shows how a sympathetic brief reply prevented futile arguments. Ruth, age 8. Mommy, did you know that junior high school is the school of romance? Mother, oh. Ruth, yes, the boys and girls have parties all the time. Mother, so you're looking forward to junior high? Ruth, oh, yes. In the past, Ruth's mother related she could have lectured her daughter about wasting her time, that school is for learning, not romancing, and that she was altogether too young to think about such things. Long arguments and a spoiled mood would have followed. Instead, she acknowledged her daughter's desire. Often, an ounce of humor is worth a ton of words. Twelve-year-old Ron saw his mother unload fresh fruit from the shopping cart which he usually left on the kitchen counter. With a wry smile, he said, Do something right for once, mom, and put the fruit in the refrigerator. I did something right once. I produced you, his mother replied. Now help me put the fruit in the refrigerator. Ron started chuckling and helping. How easy it would have been for Ron's mother to have started a war of words. What do you mean? Do something right? Who do you think you are to talk to your mother like that? Instead, she expressed her authority with humor and brevity. A father related how delighted he was to hear his child use humor to diminish frustration and rage. The day before Christmas, he and his eight-year-old daughter, Megan, were trying to put together an artificial Christmas tree. It was not easy to get all the branches to fit and Megan's father grew impatient. At last, the tree was ready to be decorated. But as soon as he started to hang a star on one of the branches, the tree collapsed. Her father became furious, shouting, ''I have had it!'' Megan came over, hugged her father and said, ''Dad, right now, I bet you wish you were Jewish.'' Authority calls for brevity and for selective silence. The following incident illustrates the power of silent authority. Scott, age seven, had hurt his leg, but that did not stop him from going to a cub scout party that evening. The next morning, he said, I can't go to school. My leg hurts. His mother was tempted to answer. If you can go to a party, you can go to school. But she did nothing. The silence was heavy. A few minutes later, Scott asked, Do you think I should go? His mother answered, You're wondering about that? Scott said, yes, as he hurried to get dressed. Scott's Scott's mother's silence helped him make his own decision. He himself must have come to the conclusion that a leg that is good enough to go to a party is good enough to get him to school. Had his mother pointed this out to him, he would have argued and everyone would have become upset. Remembering that less is more with children, this mother prevented her daughter, Diane, from infecting the rest of the family with her bad mood. Diane, aged 12, is a vegetarian. As soon as she sat down to dinner one day, she started to complain. I'm starved. Where's the dinner? Mother, mm, you must be very hungry. Diane, oh, eggplant. I don't feel like it. Mother, you're disappointed. Diane, That's, there's not enough cheese. Mother, you'd like more cheese on your eggplant. Diane, oh, it's okay, I guess, but you usually make it better. Instead of counter-complaining with, you know I have to prepare special food for you, the least you can do is appreciate it. By reflecting Diane's feelings, her mother avoided an argument. A policy on lying. Learn how not to encourage lying. Parents are enraged when children lie, especially when lie is obvious and the liar is clumsy. It is infuriating to hear a child insist that she did not touch the paint or eat the chocolate when the evidence is all over her shirt and face. Provoked Lies Parents should not ask questions that are likely to cause defensive lying. Children resent being interrogated by a parent especially when they suspect that the answers are already known. They hate questions that are traps questions that force them to choose between an awkward lie and an embarrassing confession. Quentin, age 7, broke a new truck given to him by his father. He became frightened and hid the broken pieces in the basement. When his father found the remains of the truck, he fired off a few questions that led to an explosion. Father, where is your new truck? Quentin, it's somewhere. Father, I didn't see you playing with it. Quentin, I don't know where it is. Father, find it. I want to see it. Quentin, maybe someone stole the truck. Father, you are a damned liar. You broke the truck. Don't think you can get away with it. If there's one thing I hate, it's a liar. This was an unnecessary battle. Instead of sneakingly playing detective and prosecutor and labeling his son a liar, his father would have been more helpful to his son by stating, I see your new truck is broken. It did not last long. It's a pity. You really enjoyed playing with it. The child might have learned some valuable lessons. Dad understands. I can tell him my troubles. I must take better care of his gifts. I have to be more careful. Thus, it's not a good idea to ask questions to which we already have the answers. For instance, did you clean the room as I asked while looking at a dirty room? Or did you go to school today after having been informed that your daughter did not? A statement is preferable. I say the room has not been cleaned yet. Or we have been told that you skipped school today. Why do children lie? Sometimes they lie because they are not allowed to tell the truth. Four-year-old Willie stormed into the living room, angry, and complained to his mother. I hate grandma. His mother, horrified, answered, No, you don't. You love grandma. In this home, we don't hate. Besides, she gives you presents and takes you places. How can you even say such a horrible thing? But Willie insisted, No, I hate her. I hate her. I don't want to see her anymore. His mother, now really upset, decided to use a more drastic educational method. She spanked Willie. Willie, not wanting to be punished more, changed his tune. I really love Grandma Mommy, he said. How did Mommy respond? She hugged and kissed Willie and praised him for being such a good boy. What did little Willie learn from this exchange? It's dangerous to tell the truth, to share your true feelings with your mother. When you are truthful, you get punished. When you lie, you get love. Truth hurts. Stay away from it. Mommy loves little liars. Mommy likes to hear only pleasant truths. Tell her only what she wants to hear, not how you really feel. What could Willie's mother have answered if she wanted to teach Willie to tell the truth? She would have acknowledged his upset. Oh, you no longer love grandma. Would you like to tell me what grandma did that made you so angry? He may have answered, She brought a present for the baby, not for me. If we want to teach honesty, then we must be prepared to listen to bitter truths as well as pleasant truths. If children are to grow up honest, they must not be encouraged to lie about their feelings, be they positive, negative, or ambivalent. It is from our reactions to their expressed feelings. The children learn whether or not honesty is the best policy. Lies that tell truths. When punished for truth, children lie in self-defense. They also lie to give themselves in fantasy what they lack in reality. Lies tell truths about fears and hopes. They reveal what one would like to be or do. To a discerning ear, lies reveal what they intend to conceal. A mature reaction to a lie should reflect understanding of its meaning rather than denial of its content or condemnation of its author. The information gained from the lie can be used to help the child to distinguish between reality and wishful thinking. When three-year-old Jasmine informed her grandma that she received a live elephant for Christmas, her grandma reflected her wish rather than tried to prove that her granddaughter that she was a liar. She answered, you wish you did. You wish you had an elephant. You wish you had your own zoo. You wish you had a jungle full of animals. Three-year-old Robert told his father that he saw a man as tall as the Empire State Building. Instead of answering, what a crazy idea, nobody is that tall, don't lie. This father took this opportunity to teach his son some new words while acknowledging instead of denying his perception. Oh, you must have been or you must have seen a very big man, a gigantic man, an enormous man, a huge man. While playing in the sandbox making a road, four-year-old Craig suddenly looked up screaming, My road is getting broken by a storm, what should I do? What storm? asked mother in an annoyed tone. I don't see any storm, so stop your nonsense. The storm that Craig's mother ignored in the sandbox broke out in real life. Craig threw a temper tantrum of hurricane proportion. This tempest could have been prevented had the mother recognized and acknowledged her child's perception by entering into his imaginary world, asking, A storm is washing away the road that you worked so hard to build? Oh... Then, looking up at the sky, she could have added, Please stop storming up there. You're washing away the road built by my son. Dealing with dishonesty. An ounce of prevention is worth a ton of investigation. Our policy toward lying is clear. On the one hand, we should not play prosecuting attorney or ask for confessions or make a federal case out of a tall story. On the other hand, we should not hesitate to call a spade a spade. When we find that the child's library book is overdue, we should not ask, Have you returned the book to the library? Are you sure? How come it's still on your desk? Instead, we should state, I see your library book is overdue. When the school informs us that our child has failed a math test, or we should not ask, Did you pass your math test? Are you sure? Well, lying won't help you this time. We talked with your teacher and we know that you failed miserably. Instead, we tell our child directly. The math teacher told us that you did not pass the test. We are worried and wonder how we can help. In short, we do not provoke the child into defensive lying, nor do we intentionally set up opportunities for lying. When a child does lie, our reaction should not be hysterical and moralistic but factual and realistic. We want our children to learn that there is no need to lie to us. Another way parents can prevent children from lying is to avoid the question, why? Once upon a time, why was a term of inquiry. This meaning has long vanished. It was corrupted by the misuse of why as a coin of criticism. To children, why stands for parental disapproval, disappointment and displeasure. It elicits echoes of past blame. Even a simple why did you do that may suggest why in the world did you do something as stupid as that. A wise parent avoids harmful questions such as why are you so selfish? Why do you forget everything I tell you? Why can't you ever be on time? Why are you so disorganized? Why can't you keep your mouth shut? Instead of asking rhetorical questions that cannot be answered, we make statements that show compassion. John would be glad if you would share with him. Some things are hard to remember. I worry when you are late. What can you do to organize your work? You have a lot of ideas. Stealing learning the lessons of ownership takes time and patience it is not uncommon for young children to bring home things that do not belong to them when the theft is discovered it is important to avoid sermons and dramatics the young child can be guided into the path of righteousness with dignity he or she is told calmly and firmly the toy does not the toy does not belong to you it needs to be returned or I know you wish you could keep the gun, but Jimmy wants it back. When a child steals candy and puts it in his pocket, it is best to confront him unemotionally. You wish you could keep the candy you put into your left pocket, but it has to be put back on the shelf. If the child denies having the candy, we point and repeat the statement, I expect you to put the chocolate bar back on the shelf. If he refuses, we take it out of his pocket, saying, It belongs to the store. It has to stay here. The Wrong Question and the Right Statement When you are sure that your child stole money from your wallet, it is best not to ask, but to tell about it. You took a dollar from my wallet. I want it returned. When the money is returned, the child is told, When you need money, ask me, and we will talk it over. If the child denies the act, We do not argue with him or beg him for a confession. We say, you know that I know. It has to be returned. If the money has already been spent, the discussion should focus on ways of reimbursement, in chores or by reduction in allowance. It is important to avoid calling the child a thief and a liar or prophesizing an unhappy ending. It is not helpful to ask the child why did you do it the child may not know the motivation and the pressure to tell why can only result in another lie it is more helpful to point out that you expect her or him to discuss with you the need for money i am disappointed that you did not tell me that you needed a dollar or when you need money come and tell me we'll work something out if your child has eaten cookies from the forbidden jar and there is a moustache of sugar on his or her face, do not ask questions such as, Did anybody take cookies from the jar? and Did you by any chance see who took them? Did you eat one? Are you sure? Such questions usually push the child into making up lies, which adds insult to our injury. The rule is that when we know the answer, we do not ask the question. It is better to state openly, for example, You ate the cookies when I told you not to. The last statement constitutes adequate and desirable punishment. It leaves the child with discomfort and the responsibility to do something about the misbehavior. Teaching politeness without being rude. Ways to cultivate manners. Private models and public manners. Politeness is both a character trait and a social skill. It is acquired through identification with and imitation of parents who are themselves polite. Under all conditions, politeness must be taught politely. Yet, parents frequently teach it rudely. When a child forgets to say thank you, parents point it out in front of other people, which is impolite to say the least. Parents hasten to remind their child to say goodbye, even before they themselves bid farewell. Six-year-old Robert has just been handed a wrapped gift. Full of curiosity, he squeezes the box to find out what is in it as his mother looks on agitated and nervous. Mother, Robert, stop it. You're spoiling the gift. What do you say when you get a present? Robert, angrily, thank you. Mother, that's a good boy. Robert's mother could have taught this bit of politeness less rudely and more effectively. She could have said, Thank you, Aunt Patricia, for this lovely gift. It is conceivable that Robert might have followed with his own thank you. If he had failed to do so, his mother could have dealt with social amenities later when they were by themselves. She could have said, It was considerate of Aunt Patricia to think of you and get you a gift. Let us write her a thank you note. She will be glad that we thought of her. While more complicated than a direct reprimand, this approach is more efficient. The niceties of the art of living cannot be conveyed with a sledgehammer. When children interrupt adult conversation, adults usually react angrily. Don't be rude. It is impolite to interrupt. However, interrupting the interrupter is also impolite. Parents should not be rude in the process of enforcing child politeness. Perhaps it would be better to state, I would like to finish telling my story. No good purpose is served by telling the children that they are rude. Contrary to hope, it does not steer them into politeness. The danger is that children will accept our evaluation and make it part of their self-image. Once they think of themselves as rude, they will continue to live up to this image it's only natural for rude children to behave rudely. Pointed accusations and gloomy prophecies do not help children. Better results are achieved when adults use simple and civil statements. Visits to home of friends or relatives provides opportunities for demonstrating politeness to children. Visiting should be fun for the parent and child. This can best be achieved when the burden of responsibility for the child's behaviour is left to the child and the host. Children learn that we are reluctant to reprimand them in the homes of others. Trusting geography, they choose these locations to misbehave. This strategy can be counteracted best by letting the hosts set the rules of their own house and carry out their enforcement. When a child jumps on the sofa in Aunt Mary's house, let Aunt Mary decide whether or not the sofa is for jumping. And let her invoke the limit. A child is more likely to obey when restrictions are invoked by outsiders. The mother, relieved of disciplinary obligation, can help the child by voicing understanding of the child's wishes and feelings. How you wish that Aunt Mary would let you jump on her sofa. You really enjoy doing it, but this is Aunt Mary's home and we have to respect her wishes. If the child counters with but you let me jump on our sofa we can respond with these are aunt mary's rules we have different rules in our home this policy can be implemented only when there is an agreement between host and guest as to their respective areas of responsibility arriving at aunt mary's home lucy's parent may want to say this is your home Only you know what is and what isn't acceptable behavior here. Please feel free to reprimand my children when you don't like what they are doing. It is the right and responsibility of the hosts to demand compliance with the rules of their home. It is the responsibility of the visiting parent to relinquish temporarily the role of disciplinarian. By appropriate non-intervention, the parent helps the child Perceive the reality of the situation. Summary Every parent has been perplexed, wondering how to deal with lying, stealing, and the array of misdeeds that litter the growing years. Threats, bribes, promises, sarcasm, and rudeness are not the answer. The most effective solution is to make clear statements that express our values. We do not ask questions to which we already have the answers and, most important, we treat our children with the respect we expect from them. These caring yet authoritative ways of dealing with children's misbehavior also help to strengthen the loving relationship between parent and child.